Hey, welcome to another episode of the Welcome to the Table podcast. My name is Khalil. My name is Sean. And we're so glad to have you joining us for another discussion. If you're new to the show or new to this, this community here, we are all about having conversations around life and faith and exploring spiritual disciplines and, and Christian history and really engaging with the meaningful and important conversations of culture so that we can be more faithful followers of Jesus in this cultural moment that Jesus has placed us in. And so if this show ends up being of value to you, we would love a five-star review let us know give us some feedback help us to continue to grow in the show and we always love hearing feedback about even what conversations would be significant on this show and sean i've been saying show a lot recently but i also was thinking about it and i was like i should start saying this ministry because this really is a ministry to us too that we could be uh, a place where conversations happen around the table that maybe aren't happening elsewhere and right. through that, we can be a resource that people can use and hand out and share and give and spark meaningful conversations. So I don't know. I was, I, we didn't talk about this ahead of time, but I feel like we <laughs> should start saying on this ministry. The Welcome to the Table podcast ministry. ministry yeah. The yeah. Welcome to the Table ministry podcast. <laughs> ministry podcast. No. We love it. We love it when you share. We love hearing stories from people whenever we chat and uh, talk about how it's uh, been very beneficial. We are grateful that you all share grateful for the reviews, grateful for the the five stars. If there's six stars, go ahead and click the six star button. We have a a special guest with us this time around at the ministry table. Drew Berryessa has become a fast friend and he's somebody who is, and I've said this over and over again to his face as well as behind his back, is a gift. (laughs) He's a gift to the kingdom of God. What a, a wonderful story of redemption, but not just that, a wonderful future that the Holy Spirit has been leading him into. And so Drew, thank you so much for being with us. Why don't you tell us uh, a little bit about yourself, your story? I guess it would have to be the Cliff Notes version of yeah, it, yeah. but a little bit of your story, how you ended up where you're at. Obviously, your pastor down in Southern Oregon, yep. uh, have a ministry. We'll also talk a little bit about that. But Perfect. First, it's a, such a privilege and an honor to be here. And I will say of all the things said behind my back, I think that's my favorite <laughs> And there's been a lot, so, yeah. you know, <laughs> so a That's little bit awesome. about, yeah, yeah, steer into the skid. So a little bit about me. I am a pastor in Southern Oregon, but that is what I do in my spare time. My mm-hmm. full-time job is traveling the country and speaking and equipping and helping the body of Christ respond to issues surrounding the LGBTQ community mm-hmm. and that cultural conversation f- fully from a place rooted in truth and love. Yeah. That's cool. That's really cool. So that's what I've been a part of for the last 23 years is that field of ministry. And whenever anyone is going to approach the topic of sexuality in this culture to (laughs) this particular community, to the church, it's a good idea to know why you're qualified to do because there's a lot of people who like to speak their opinions. If you're on social media, you know that. It's a reality. (laughs) Everybody has a valuable, quote, opinion. The reason I have uh, given my life to this ministry and given my life to the body of Christ to serve it in this way is because of the very unique experiences that I've had in my life surrounding this. And uh, as I share, when I go speak, I approach this topic from three different perspectives. One is from, I just shared, the perspective of a person who's been in vocational ministry to this community for 23 years. Mm -hmm. And in my life, in the ministry assignments that I've had the opportunity to walk alongside probably close to 800 men and women that have been surrendering their sexuality to the Lordship of Christ, courageously laying down identities that fit in that LGBTQ spectrum and pursuing Jesus in hopes for new identity, hopes for redemption to these struggles. And 
it has been a profound privilege to walk alongside this community and serve them and watch the Lord do incredible things. Alongside in that pastoral work and that ministry work, I've walked alongside families that have loved ones who identify in that community and are trying to figure out how to best love and um, accept their 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 loved ones without affirming what they believe to be sin or just a false identity. And that's also an incredible privilege that I've had in ministry is just helping families reconcile and work together to to communicate and demonstrate the love of Jesus to lost people and their families. And then, of course, the other part of that is helping equip pastors and leaders, which is one of the reasons we've met. So that's one perspective. The second perspective is, as it has been said, back in the 80s, if you're a child of the 80s, staying at home, watching TV, you've inevitably seen the Hair Club for Men commercial. <laughs> I'm not just uh, the president. I'm also a client. I, <laughs> I first got involved in this. I know it's so cheesy. It's, it's so cheesy. Gets you every time. I first found my way into this ministry because I needed it. And sharing humorously, I'm not just the president. I'm also a client, is a really... Gentle segue into saying that I struggled with same-sex attraction. I identified as gay at one point in my life, and that's a little bit of a weighty disclosure to the church people sometimes. And I was motivated to find the ministry that I was discipled in and that I found incredible healing in because for me, as a 19, 20-year-old kid who was struggling with his sexual identity, my faith and my sexuality was incongruent. I was, you know, definitely attracted to the same sex. I did not ask for that struggle. I did not want it, but it was a reality that I that I was dealing with, and I, there was not a lot of resources for me. And the, the cultural conversation kept encouraging and does still encourage people to embrace th- that struggle as an identity and as a practice of life. But for me, I found that my faith said that was incongruent with what I knew to be true about what God did, purposed in my sexuality, my identity, and for my future. And so... That leaves you with a little bit of a struggle of going, how do I then live my faith and surrender my life to this gospel and it actually be life-giving and meaningful with such a dominating, life-controlling, identity-defining struggle? I've experienced incredible amounts of healing in my own life and just a radical shift in my identity and my orientation. And I know that's not a popular thing to say in our culture, but dang it, I'm saying it because that's my story. (laughs) And not that this is proof that I have changed, but it is evidence of something that I once thought was impossible in my life and I didn't have the desire for, the, the sexual or romantic desires for, but I am married. I've been married for 18 years to my incredible wife, Suzanne, and I'm also a father of three incredible daughters. Yeah. And that is, to me, again, it's not proof anyone can live a double life, but to me, it's the fruit of what God has done in my life, and it is, they are trophies of grace for me. And I, mm-hmm. I absolutely am so thrilled that the Lord has done this in my life. The third perspective is that I have loved ones who identify in the LGBTQ community and everything that I preach, everything that I've learned, I have to practice in relationship. Yeah. And so I think that those three things uniquely qualify me to speak to the issue. And if you don't agree, you don't have to listen to this episode. It's okay. <laughs> I will not be hurt by that. <laughs> it's awesome. I love the piece though, where you just, you talk about these issues from a position of empathy yeah. and compassion and, and love as defined by Christ. Because right. you throw out the word love and it means infinite n- number of things, but Jesus defines it yes, he by does. who he is. And so I love that you approach this this community with a compassion, kindness, as, as somebody who was at the same 
was also identified in this community? And maybe what are a couple of uh, quick tips or things that our listeners can, for lack of a better terminology, do to engage this community with love and compassion? Is there a starting point? Maybe somebody's never, they've been afraid to engage or they don't know somebody who is in this community, or maybe there's people who have friends, Hmm. but they might not be representing Jesus the way they could be. Where's a good starting point? I think that, that's a great question. Thank you for that great question. I think that one of the places we start is just to try to listen and understand. Because for many of us, when we are engaging in a community that we don't have a shared experience with, we inevitably feel insecure or like we're lacking when we come to that. We don't know what to give. And sometimes that causes us to retreat away from relationship and self-protect because we don't want to fail. And sometimes it causes us to walk into relationship as if I'm now the gift to you and I'm going to try to speak to your struggle with no authority to do. (laughs) And both are dishonoring to people. One of the greatest gifts that we can give people is our attention. And just simply to ask good questions and listen to understand a person's story. Now, I know, and I can, I because I've done this a lot of years, so I can hear the objection. But if is that going to validate or affirm their life choices if you just simply listen? And I'm going to say we can run that risk because even if a person is going to be thinking that by your attention and by your questions, you're affirming, you get to then earn the right to speak your perspective, but we don't earn the right to speak our perspective to this community in particular, unless we're willing to listen to theirs. And so that's good. trying to understand where a person's coming from, it's, there's these distorted ways of listening where we can listen in like trying to practice what we're going to say, rehearsive listening where right. we're like, I'm listening to respond. I want to encourage everyone not to do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, listen to understand, listen to, to get a context for their life and their understanding of their identity and their struggle. Because truly, that is how we begin to find the inroads of ministry, to speak to the wounds of a person's heart, and to earn the right to say hard words require strong relationship. Mm. And I think with any challenge that someone's walking through, if I just try to immediately, if I realize, oh, someone's battling with anger, and I just start trying to preach to them everything I know about anger, I don't even know that I'm going to hit the the point in their life that is most relevant or real or where the gospel is most needed to bring healing. Listening to someone about if, to use that example to say, tell me about that struggle with anger. Tell me about what you're feeling. Tell Mm -hmm. me about what that experience is like gives us the opportunity to listen and hear the uniqueness of individual stories right. where then I think the Holy Spirit speaks to us and he goes, there's an area, Absolutely there's right. an area to shine light upon and bring healing to. So in any context, listening before trying to give answers mm-hmm. is always the place. My question, I think it might be helpful for maybe those that might be personally struggling with a same-sex attraction or those who have friends that do, or maybe friends even within the church that do, is the really basic question, just can you be gay and be a Christian? Mm. Yeah, I love that question. Mm-hmm. Oh, such a good question. I think we're out of time, right? I'm just kidding. No. Um, <laughs> and wrap up. Because if, culture says a lot. And, culture and even does. There's right. a lot of different diverse views across the whole church spectrum. Yes, yes. So bringing some clarity to that would be really Absolutely. And, and I think in order to bring clarity to that, we have to even define what do you mean by being gay? Because that too, is a complex and multifaceted question that not everyone's answer means the same thing. And so for the sake of this conversation, let's clarify it. If by being gay, you mean experience same-sex attractions or experience that 
orientation of being attracted to the same sex tempted that direction, then absolutely you can be a Christian and be gay because being tempted is not sin and it does not... It, the state of being vulnerable to a temptation or an attraction is not only is it not sin, but it's just part of humanity. It's a reflection of our, our fallen nature. And to be tempted towards something, we had, we know because of the example of Christ, who was tempted in every way, yet was without sin, that temptation itself is not sin. And so a lot of times, and what gets unfortunately communicated by the church, even in reading scripture, like you read 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11, one of the specific passages that addresses homosexual behavior, and let's clarify that the Bible addresses behavior, not orientation. Sexual orientation is not a biblical concept. That's extra gravy. (laughs) But let's go back and say that when I've heard it said over and over, when pastors are literally quoting from the verse, they quote every word verbatim except for when it gets to homosexual offender and they just use the word homosexuals or and then there's a difference between someone who is behaving in a way and someone who is now identifying in and making that behavior their identity. So we have to clarify that. So first and foremost, can you struggle with same-sex attraction? Can you struggle with gender dysphoria? Can you struggle with the desire to transition your gender? Can you, you know, can you struggle with these issues and be a Christian? If anybody can be a Christian, you can be a Christian because we are all vulnerable. We all have a sin nature. We all have to surrender that brokenness to Jesus. And that does not disqualify you from the kingdom of God. Now let's talk about, can you practice homosexuality and be a Christian? That's a little bit more complex of a question. I have an identical twin brother. He, identif- he identifies as gay. He is married to a man. And we've had this conversation multiple times. And one of the things that he has assumed and said to me is, you think you're going to heaven. I think you're going to heaven. But you think I'm going to hell. And I think I'm going to heaven. I have a relationship with Jesus. I'm just fine. And my response to him is, there's not a believer on earth that gets to say what is going on in the heart between a person and God. We might look at the fruit of an individual and we can, from scripture, know that the fruit, by the fruit, we will know people, whether or not they're in relationship with Jesus, but we don't always see all of it. And so what I said to my brother is, you claim to have a relationship with Jesus. I'm not going to tell you you're not saved. But what I do not have the privilege of doing is assuring you that you are. Because scripture explicitly states that those who practice these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, it doesn't say, this thing about scripture is it's a descriptive thing. It's the cause and effect sort of Mm -hmm. statement where if you give your life in the practice of sin, inevitably, you are not going to inherit the kingdom of God because your trajectory is moving away from God Mm -hmm. and moving away from his lordship rather than moving towards him. And we know that sanctification is that we start in a broken place and we progressively move and are transformed into the image of Jesus. But if we cultivate sin in our lives, that is actively moving us away from the image of Jesus and the likeness of Jesus. And so what I say to my brother is, I can't assure you that you are saved. You are practicing and calling something good and right, something that the Bible declares is sin. And so you need to go to God with that and be honest with him about where you're at in relationship with him and what place he has in your life. It's not mine to tell you you're saved, but it isn't my privilege to tell you that you are. So that's my response to that. And this is obviously complex. Yeah. And I want to affirm, I want to affirm Drew right now and just say, we're not going to unravel all this in 35 minutes, No, but we do have some resources 
for you. You have lots of resources. One that popped in while you were in my brain while you were talking, he deals really heavily with what the question that Khalil posed is same sex attraction in the church by Ed Shaw, yeah, who is a celibate Anglican pastor mm-hmm. and does a very great job of talking about what it looks like to follow Jesus when you are attracted to the same sex, when you're Mm -hmm. tempted by some of those feelings and those things of transitioning and and dysphoria and things like that. Probably the best I've ever read. And that that's a, that's a great resource. And then you have a resource, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. I love there's no in the middle of it, but I love to have you talk about a living letter a little bit. Sure. Sure. Right now. Yeah. Okay. Great. (laughs) A living letter ministries is the ministry that I run that, um, is specifically an equipping ministry to the church. I know that this conversation, this struggle is something that the church is facing and really feels unequipped to address most of the time. And, and so seeing that and having the experience that I've had in ministry, a couple years back, I just had this shift in focus from personal discipleship to men and women who were struggling with this to recognizing that, the church needs to be equipped. The body of Christ needs to be equipped. And I've been in parachurch ministry for a million years. And it feels like with the body of Christ, parachurch ministry sometimes functions like dialysis, where something isn't working in the body. And so there's this outside resource that has to infuse into the body to help it function. Mm-hmm. And we see that sometimes with other cultural issues like um, abortion and you know pregnancy resource center, where the church hasn't necessarily been a place historically where women in that situation find refuge or find help. And so this parachurch has been risen up to help supplement the body. I've been involved in ministries like that for years, discipling men and women. But the way our laws and the way the culture is going is becoming way restrictive on ministries like that. And even in places around the world where ministries like mine have been criminalized. And so the last refuge for people struggling is going to be the church. It's going to be the last place of freedom and help and resource for people that struggle with this identity. And so the church has to take up this mantle of ministry. And so a living letter helps the church do that. Yeah. Man, that's great. Going back to what you were just talking about with the question of can you be gay and be a Christian, I, I feel like it's a great opportunity to just maybe even pose some of the things that I get asked or I hear yeah. often because, and I think we also want to talk to those who maybe have a friend who struggles with uh, same-sex attraction or really wants to engage in these conversations in a meaningful way. But I also want to lean in to the questions for people wrestling with this personally, yeah. because otherwise we can still make it that us versus them, or we think they're gay people are just outside of the church, right. and not in our church body. And I was thinking about the young adult or the teenager, because I've had these conversations who say, in regards to what you were just talking about, I, I think I'm all right with God. Like I've talked to God about it and I, I know I'm good with God. Or like they say, I, I didn't choose this. God made me this way. So if God made me, he, he made me with these desires and he made me with these feelings and these attractions. So why would he want to change me? Or thinking God doesn't want to change me. This is who he's made me to be. So the best expression of myself is to live this out. Hmm. And these are people that would identify as loving Jesus as well. I feel like that conversation isn't had enough. And for the people I know in my life who are wrestling with that, there's not a lot of places to turn to have those conversations well. So I'm just curious what you would you would yeah. speak to that. Yeah. I First and foremost, I would say that I 
absolutely understand how people reach the conclusion, particularly that God must have made me this way. I know that when I was struggling as a teenager and in the church, I prayed every day for the Lord to take this away from me because I didn't want to be gay and I didn't want to offend God with my life. And so the prayer consistently was the Lord, take this Lord. I don't want this Lord. You try as it's often said in culture, you can't pray away the gay. Mm -hmm. And it, it was such a lonely spot for me. So when the Lord remained very silent on that, I had only one of three conclusions to draw one, either the Lord didn't care or that the Lord intended this. Or in my legalistic church that I was growing up in was, I just haven't earned his help yet. Huh. And so I, a lot of Christians, I think, struggle with that. And yeah. even in the process of surrendering their sexuality, I know that this has been a pitfall in, in my field of ministry. And there's been a lot of reactions to this culturally and even within our own movement that there's this feeling of, if I do recovery well enough, then I will be this outcome at the end of it. Is there a guarantee that I will be a heterosexual you know, man or completely secure in my gender identity if I surrender to Jesus? And the thing about it that is becoming a struggle, and this is, I ramble, but this is something that I think thematically infiltrates in a lot of the church when people are struggling with issues where they they think genie Jesus, you rub the, you know, the lamp with your <laughs> discipleship disciplines or reading your Bible enough or memorizing right. scripture and genie Jesus will come out and fix your life. And it's, that's not Christianity. That's, I don't know where we got that self-improvement gospel, but it, it isn't Christianity. Christianity is Christ is my Lord and I obey him and he redeems me. And right. that redemption doesn't always look like a full orientation shift. It doesn't always look like our struggles going away. But what it does look like is being conformed to the image of Jesus. And it does look like having our salvation secure. And it does look like living a life that the Lord is going to use and make abundant. And that doesn't necessarily, every problem is going to be erased and mm -hmm. all of our struggles are going to be easy for our convenience. That's not Christianity at all. And so what I would say to an individual that is in that position where they're come to the conclusion of like, this is just who I am. This is, this is how the Lord made me. I would challenge that. I would challenge that because the, when we go into the scripture and we look at how we are made and how we are purposed, the purpose of sexuality is clear in scripture. There's very clear um, boundaries for sexual behavior and there's very clear purpose for sexuality. And the Lord would not create us in such a way to frustrate us and to disable us from actually being able to live in the purposes of God. Now, don't hear me say that it's the purpose of God that every one of us have sex and get married. Please, sorry, order, married, have sex. Order is important. But it does look like our, our, the image of God in our masculinity and femininity being displayed and to a greater degree resembling Jesus. And that looks like security in who we are and maturity in our faith and living it out in submission to Jesus. And that is attainable for anybody, no matter what your struggle is or how long it persists in your life. So what I would say first and foremost is you, you have a... I would challenge their perspective on a, what would be technically called a theological anthropology, like how God made us, how God purposes for mankind to be. Because if you're believing that God created you in this way, what you're saying is that this disordered, broken uh, image is what God intended. And we all 
And please don't anyone hear me say that only homosexual or transgender people are broken. Right. All of us are broken. Right, correct. And all of us are in that process of being made new and transformed into the image of Jesus, which is sanctification, which is from glory to glory, which culminates at the return of Jesus. And that's why when we, we talk about recovery and, and ministry to this, there is no cure for this because it's not, I'm not cured. Mm-hmm. I'm redeemed. Mm-hmm. And Jesus did not take away my memory and he didn't take away the consequences like of in my mind and in my heart of my behavior and what I invested in, in my uh, thought life and in my, my sexual practice. He took away my guilt, my shame and the condemnation that I deserved as a sinner. And I would say if you're in that situation, go back to the word of God. And instead of trying to evaluate who you are in terms of your experience and what you're experiencing and what your condition is, go back to the word of God and try to understand who you are in light of who God says you are, because only he has the authority to tell us who we are anyway. That's really good, man. And I think that's a really helpful perspective. Something I really appreciate that Sam Albury once said mm-hmm. was basically he said man people always come to, up to him and would say because he's gay or he wouldn't t- identify as gay but he's would identify as having same-sex attraction uh, and he's a christian pastor and he says people will come up to him and say man i can't imagine i can't imagine being in your shoes and being a christian and, ha- and wrestling with what you're wrestling with and he said i don't think my experience is any different from any other christian because when we come to the feet of jesus these are my words but he says all of us have to die to ourselves. Yeah. Right. All of us have to die to ourselves. Mm-hmm. And he said, this is that way for me. And I think that was such a powerful perspective. Yeah. And I really appreciate that contribution. He says, this isn't, I don't have it worse than other Christians. I don't have it harder than other Christians. We all have to come to the cross and die to ourselves to follow Jesus. And this is that area for me. Yeah. And that really helped me as someone who's never wrestled with same-sex attraction in identifying our sin struggles as the the same, even yeah. though they may be different areas. But yeah. man, yeah, I struggle with sin and I struggle with temptations and I have to die to myself in order to follow Jesus. And I do that because I really do, I really do truly believe that Jesus is the way, yeah. that he has the best plan for my life. And even when I don't understand something or I have to wrestle with it in my own heart, I know that if I choose to ignore Jesus's words and walk in what I think is right, it's ultimately going to be to my deficit. Yep. And I know that if I will surrender it, even when I don't understand and I'll trust in Jesus, I will experience his goodness. Yep. And that takes faith on all fronts for all of us. So I think that is really helpful in just challenging us to submit and follow in the various areas of our lives where we need to. Absolutely. Yeah. And going back to the brokenness of humanity that sin mars mm-hmm. it breaks the image it it shatters yeah and also before i forget jackie hill perry also talks a lot about this theological anthropology i don't know if she coined it that way but go follow her on instagram i cannot encourage our listeners more she is fantastic in this area that we're just talking about right now obviously coming out of a lesbian li- lifestyle yeah married now with four kids still her interview with kev on stage i don't know if it's available anymore it might have gotten ripped off of youtube is was fantastic when she Mm. talked about how she still struggles and wrestles with this and then she she looks at kev at one point and says do you struggle with with being attracted to women who aren't your wife yeah and it just rocked him 
And it's like, why we continue to, to silo. Yeah. We love to label and categorize and silo. Yep. And the fact of the matter is, is every day I have to decide that I'm going to love my wife and no other person, mm-hmm. uh, no other woman. Right. In the same way that I love her. I've chosen to do this because it's my act of obedience, mm-hmm. even though I might be tempted, even right. though there's other, there's other attractive women in this world. Right. You know, there's right. other temptations that are constantly, it's like you said with Sam Albright, it's the same idea and we have to continuously take um, people, the church, teenagers, anybody who wants to engage in this back to the beginning. Genesis yeah. one, two, and three. Yep. Absolutely. The brokenness that we are. Absolutely. Yeah. And I love that you said that because I, I had that experience too, that same one that Jackie had where I was speaking at a youth group and, or it was a youth leaders training event or something. And I was a skeptical youth pastor. And I, I will say this, like it, having this testimony you do, you get held to this really ridiculous standard and either you get held to a ridiculous standard or you're not believed at all. And there's just sometimes seem to be a middle ground where this youth pastor was incredulous and he looked at me, do you still struggle? Do you ever still struggle with this? And I looked at him and snarkling because snark is a spiritual gift. Amen. And I said, why don't we talk about your current struggle, pastor? (laughs) have you continued to struggle with this? And it's the differential is with this struggle is there is so much identity that's wrapped up in this where it it does feel more consequential. And even in that, I don't look at, because in 18 years of marriage, I've been married for 18 years, I've been out of, uh, surrendered my gay relationship 24, wow, years ago, something like that. Nope, 25 and quarter century. And I still have memories that come up. There's still things that that happen. And those things, they used to define me and shame me where I, I was very early in my process of, of surrendering this to Jesus, like really early. One of my best friends and I were going to a sporting goods store to get bathing suits for a mission trip that we were going on. And we're walking through the store and we get to where the bathing suits are and there's a poster for the bathing suits. And it's this, of course, ripped guy modeling the <laughs> bathing suit. And I see it and I recognize that guy's handsome. And immediately I feel condemned mm. in my heart. I'm like, Oh, there you are, gay Drew coming out to shame me again. It's like this shame cycle began happening where I was partnering with the accusation of the enemy. I'm like, oh yeah, I'm so horrible. I'm so bad. I'm so made no progress. I'm always going to struggle. And then my friend who not a shred of same sex attraction ever. And this is like the dudeliest dude (laughs) in the whole world. And he looks and he goes, oh, that guy's ripped. And I looked at him with shock and I'm like, what do you mean? Like, you, you see that? And he looked at me incredulously goes, what do you think I see when I see a guy like that? And I had to stop for a second and I thought, a beanbag? I don't. <laughs> like, for me, the message that I had received is that because yeah. I could perceive beauty or aesthetic perfection in someone, that it was all about sex. And honestly, it was just because I had eyes. And the associations I had made over my life and cultivated of lust, the memory of that wanted to invade and try to occupy space in my heart and soul. And in those moments, temptation is just a choice to say, okay, there's a vulnerability, there's memory that's popping up with an opportunity, and I can either sit on that and cultivate it in a direction, or I can surrender that to Jesus and go, good job, God, that's great genetics, moving on. So that said, it's we all have our stuff and the ability to recognize that not every passing thought, not everything is a reflection of just being a horrible, awful sinner. Sometimes it's just evidence that we have done something in the past. We're reaping what we've sown in our memory and that doesn't have to shame us. It's just another opportunity to give it back over to Jesus and say, that isn't who I am. And I don't have to cultivate that in my life. 
Yeah, it's so. really great. And that's and it's when we're talking about choosing how we will identify. Yep. We are identity. Right. That's identity. So I think that's really powerful. Uh, let, can we take the last couple minutes to just maybe speak to people who are listening? And obviously, if someone's listening to this, we know you, you think this conversation is meaningful and you want to be engaged in the conversation. How do we as followers of Jesus engage in these conversations meaningfully, whether it's in the church, outside of the church? What does it look like for us as followers of Jesus to draw people towards the truth and engage in meaningful and compassion-filled conversations? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. No matter if it's in the church or in the culture, the first thing that I would say is that do not pursue people in the LGBT community because you want to have a missions project. Mm. This is a person, not a problem, not a project, not another badge for our Christian uniform of, look, I I turned to gay. Let's no, let's not treat this like that. Let's value people for the simple fact that they are created in the image of God, that God has a purpose for this individual, that he loves them and he wants relationship with them. And because relationship is central to the gospel, we know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength, love your neighbor as yourself. One new commandment I give you, love one another as I have loved you. These are relational commandments. And so if we wanna be effective in our engagement, let's start with building relationships. So start with your own world. Who in your world reflects this struggle? Whether it be an individual identifying on the spectrum or say, it's a parent of someone who is struggling in the church, they've identified as gay and they feel alone and they feel shame and they feel like they don't have anywhere to go to talk about their experience. Let's start with what's right in front of us and begin to understand the struggle by relating to people, hearing their stories, being present with them and earning the right to be able to speak into their identity, to speak into the circumstance. Years back, I worked at Starbucks, which is because I lived in Portland and every young 20-something has to put in their time at Starbucks. It's just, I think, in the bylaws of the city. But I worked at Starbucks and I worked at what I called my little lesbian Starbucks because I was the only guy that worked there and every other every woman that worked there was a lesbian. And it was an incredible learning lab for me to know how to relate to culture. None of them knew my story. If they had known my testimony, they would not have wanted to relate to me because my testimony often represents a threat to their identity. Because if I can change, then that's threatening their narrative of, I can't change, this is who I am. Mm. And so I purposely did not share that aspect of my life with them because I wanted to not have that obstacle in relationship with them. But I just got to listen to their stories and love them and to relate to them. And it opened up opportunities for incredible conversations about Jesus, about the church, about salvation, about um, God's love for them. And it, it was such a beautiful season to just be a person that was affirming their value, loving and accepting them, acknowledging that this is their understanding of who they are, not trying to challenge their identity every other day, but rather bringing a perspective of how I see them and being willing to sit in the tension relationally. If we can enter into the tension of relationship where we're not trying to fix someone and we're not going, we're not trying to correct them because here's another little tidbit. I've never met a person who walked out of the LGBTQ community because they lost an argument. Mm. Never. I have only met people who left that identity because the love that Jesus was displaying to them through his body proved more compelling than the love they were receiving in their own brokenness. Hmm. And these are relational struggles and they're only healed in the context of relationship. 
And so we all want this formula and we all want the, the, the one, two, three plan of how we can have the effective ministry to the community. And it is really way more simple than that. It's who's in front of you. If they're in front of you, develop relationship. So I'll reiterate that. Um, it's who's the person that's in your circle Yeah, and invite them to your table. There it is. And and invite them to the your table. Time. I'm like, yeah, it's what this, this, it's what this conversation right. and this podcast is all about getting around the table, doing life with one another, yeah. mm-hmm. hospitality, inviting people in, creating a, a home and an environment and a, a friendship and a family where people can come in and experience the love of Christ through us and yeah. around the table. As we listen, we have the opportunity to learn. And as we learn, we have the opportunity to empathize and understand. And through that, I feel like we get the opportunity and we earn the right to speak meaningful identity filled conversations. Yeah. And can I say one more thing to this, particularly with hospitality, you know, in James, we know it says pure and undefiled religion is this to take care of the orphans and the widows in their distress and to remain unstained by the world. I love the message. I'm not going to call it translation, but paraphrase of the verse and how Eugene Peterson says orphans and widows. He instead calls it the homeless and the loveless. And when in either context, in either definition that you want to look at, if we as believers truly do believe that the LGBTQ identified and um, identified person is called by Jesus to surrender that and to leave that behind, can we for a minute think about what they're leaving behind and how difficult that is? Yeah. Because this is an identity. This is a community. This is a life that's been built around these things. And there's no guarantee in following Jesus that you're going to get any of that back after surrendering it. So you're leaving everything behind for a community that will now reject you and often attack your character Mm -hmm. and accuse you and be really unkind to you for a community that doesn't know what to do with you, often doesn't want to extend the invitation to you, are worried that if they let you into your their home, what, what are my kids going to perceive with this new identified person in our home? Mm-hmm. And so you're leaving all of that relational connection, honestly, sometimes for one service a week where people don't really know what to do with you. And so if we take the commandment of Jesus seriously, if we take the scripture seriously and identify that it doesn't really take a logical leap to say this is someone who is orphaned and widowed, homeless and loveless, and it is our calling to take care of that distress, to help them bear their burdens, to step in as the family of faith into those relational voids because this is a very difficult road. Yeah. Man, that's good. Sorry, I didn't mean to. I was just so excited about that. It's such a great perspective for us to put ourselves in the shoes of another. Oftentimes we talk about it in terms of missions work, and I know we got to wrap this up, but when a Muslim or somebody who's in the LDS church leaves those communities, it is, in some contexts, it's their life is at stake. Yeah. It's very similar in some, maybe not your life at stake here, but a very similar weight that yeah. we, we need to carry that weight. We need to feel that weight, I should say, and um, carry those burdens for our LGBT friends yeah. as, uh, and, and have empathy. So that's yeah. good. So Drew, this podcast is all about, we, when going away from these episodes, we want to spark conversation that continues on and spark practice that changes things. So 
Uh, I just want to maybe give you the last word on what that could look like for someone walking away from this episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that practical steps would be first and foremost, check your own heart in this issue because so many of us in the church have our biases. We have our beliefs and our um our agreements that we make about people in this struggle or people who identify like this. And I would say just be willing to go to the Holy Spirit and say, what are those things and how can I submit them to you and have my thinking transformed? Because if we're coming to the table in relationship to people and we have all these assumptions about what their identity means, then we're not actually seeing them. We're relating to them through the lens of fear or judgment or whatever it is. If often the church responds to the sexual brokenness issues, particularly if it's men coming out of homosexuality, they just view them as sexual predators. And that's not the case Mm. most of the time. And if we are walking and trying to walk in relationship with people and we have agreements or biases that are already existing in our hearts, that's going to color how we relate. And so practically go to the Lord and just do some business in your own heart with him to clear the slate a little bit. If there's offenses that you have towards the gay community, work that out between Jesus. That's, that's not about the individual. That's about an ideology and a principality that we're, we're dealing with because the enemy hates the image of God and he hates humanity and he wants to destroy us. we have one enemy, truly one enemy. It's him. Everyone else is just a prisoner of war who is now working on his behalf. And so Mm -hmm. we have to clear those obstacles to know how to walk in relationship with people just from a very clear, godly, open place. I think that's the most practical thing I could say. That's awesome. Thank you so much for being a part of this conversation. I know this is really meaningful and is going to be widely shared and a great resource for people. So thank you so much. And for those listening, if this has been meaningful for you, share this episode with someone. Let it spark some conversation in your life, some dialogue with someone and get people around your table. Continue to listen, continue to learn. Let's continue to grow as disciples of Jesus for this cultural moment. We would love a rating and review specifically on Apple Podcasts, but wherever you listen. And we also have our Patreon if you want to join and be a supporter there for a monthly amount of your choice. You can continue to be a part of our team and help this ministry go forward and reach more people and see more people engage in these meaningful conversations. Thank you as always. And until our next episode, get someone around your table, do life, be a follower of Jesus, live the faith.